0: Hello, my name is Jody Limott, and welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk up the kids' books we love. On this twice-monthly podcast, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts, such as writers, teachers, and librarians, about their own favorite children's books. The poem I'm going to start off the podcast this week is called Dando's Delight. It's one of the poems featured in the free verse novel The Red Pencil by Andrea Davis Pinckney and illustrated by Shane W. Evans. This novel tells the story of a young Sudanese girl who must flee to a refugee camp after her village is attacked by militants. And there she learns to express what she's going through after she's given a gift of a red pencil and a yellow writing pad. Uh, Andrea Davis Pinkney is the author of several books for kids and teens, including Jump of the Sun and the Cheetah Girls series. She's been the recipient of many awards for her work, including the Coretta Scott King Book Award, the Boston Globe Horn Book Honor Medal, and the American Library Association Notable Book Citation. Dando's Delight by Andrea Davis Pinckney As this special morning stirs, I watch a sparrow. She juts from the wheat strands, rustling. Dando runs up from behind, scoops me into strong arms, folded loaves, inviting me to ride. Come, girl child, fly! I squeal, Dando! I'm now too old and too big for this little girl game, Amira Bright, it is true that you are taller, but you are never too old to greet the sky. Up, up, girl! He swings me, long legs, okra-toed feet, dusty, flailing, high up, delighting. Show the other birds how precious you are, Amira Bright. My insides flip-flop. Dando shouts, as if proclaiming a great truth. Amira bright, yay! Girl child, rising! In Dando's arms I can fly. In Dando's arms I am bright. Up, up so high, all of me. My guest today is Daphne benedis Grab author of middle-grade books such as Army Brats and Clementine for Christmas, as well as the YA books The Girl on the Wall and Alive and Well in Prague, New York. You can find Daphne's website at DaphneBG.com. That's D-A-P-H-N-E-B-G.com. Thank you for joining me today, Daphne.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Now, one uh, of your most recent books, the middle-grade books that you've written, is Army Brats. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Um, sure. That is about three siblings Rosie, Charlotte, and Tom, whose mother is in the military, and for the first time, the family is going to live on an army base, which I discovered through all the research that I did on army bases, military bases, in general, army bases specifically, because they are different, that it's a whole world. It's a whole community with like different rules and amazing swimming pools and free movies and... And this community of people who have an understanding of each other that's very intense because everybody there has a parent in the military, which is a unique experience. And so when these three siblings arrive on the base, there are things that they love, for example, the movies and the swimming pool, but they each face challenges as well. Rosie has trouble making friends, Tom is being bullied by a boy at school, and Charlotte needs to make some decisions about what kind of friend she wants to be and what kind of people she wants
0: to hang out with. And where did you get the idea for writing this book?
1: You know, it's funny, it came out of a conversation. I had just finished Clementine for Christmas and my editor and I were talking about what we wanted to work on next and I came up with this idea about a daycare center and just kind of mentioned in this conversation, oh, in one of the children in the daycare center could have a parent in the military and my editor Emily said wait a minute what if you wrote something about a military kid what if you wrote about a kid who lived on an army base because she had a good friend who grew up in an army base and she knew that it would be a really unique and fun setting for a story so that's what I did I started researching and discovered that she was right she usually is and Came up with the idea of the siblings going there for the first time so that they could get to know how life on base was the same way that, you know, at the same time the reader does. And it was a lot of fun to work on.
0: Now, are there any uh, writing projects that you're currently working on that you can tell us about?
1: So I am in the very final stages of a middle grade book that's going to be out this fall. It's called The Chocolate Challenge. It's the story about two elementary schools in a small town. Every year, these schools compete to see who can sell the most chocolate bars. And whichever school wins gets a pizza party and, more importantly, bragging rights. And it's always been a very friendly rivalry until this year when the captain and co-captain of each of the two teams each have a very strong reason for wanting to win the contest this year. And so things get a little out of hand. It escalates into being a prank war.
0: And when do you expect to finish up this book and have it ready for publication?
1: I'm just finishing up what's called Second Pass, which means my Emily and I already went through all the edits. We did that in the fall. And then it went off to copy edits. And then exciting things happened. Like I got the cover, which I love. It looks like a half-open chocolate bar. And I also got, they're going to do a page of chocolate-scented stickers. And they sent me that. So, um, you know, those were really exciting moments where I think, wow, this is really happening. This is going to be a book and then I got the first pass pages which is the first time that you see it laid out to look like pages in a book and we went through and we still found some mistakes there and then what we just finished was the second pass pages that was last week yeah I think it's in good shape I won't see it again like the next time it's in my hands it'll be an advanced reader's copy and then a book
0: Like many authors, you also do school visits. Uh, What could a, a person expect from a school visit from you, and what do you get out of them as well?
1: That's such a great question. I love doing school visits. I was so nervous the first time I went and I did one because sometimes I get uncomfortable talking in front of crowds. But kids are so enthusiastic about books and reading, and they have great questions about my books, and it's just so much fun. I always try to tailor what I do to the needs of the school, but in general, I walk in with a PowerPoint presentation that's all about writing, and I introduce some things about my books, but I mostly talk about my own experiences as a child and how those led me to become a writer. And... The presentation is very interactive. I like to ask the students a lot of questions as I go. I talk a little about something in my life, then I ask them something about their lives. Students tend to be very excited about that and offer such fun, interesting, insightful comments. Um, It often turns into a good discussion. And I've discovered that even with a group as big as 100, that can still work that format of kids, you know, being part of the presentation and answering the questions that I I have I also always like to leave a lot of room for student questions most teachers and librarians are phenomenal about having kids having read at least part of my book and the kids and preparing the kids with questions and the kids are often very excited about their questions they put a lot of thought into them and so I like to have at least 20 to 30 minutes for that and then at the end I love to sign books And you asked me also what I get about it. Yes. So invigorating and exciting to see what kids think about my books. The questions that they ask always surprise and delight me. Kids often see things in my books that I didn't even realize were there, so I leave with deeper insight. I'm also inspired to keep writing because of the enthusiasm that I see.
0: Uh, The book you chose as your favorite is the novel Fifteen. By Beverly Clearly, uh, which was originally published in 1956 by William Morrow and Company. Uh, What can you tell readers who, even those who have read Beverly Clearly before, who might be unfamiliar with 15 and what it's about?
1: Sure. Um, I think most of us grew up on the Ramona books and maybe um, Henry Huggins and Ribsy. And 15 is one of her tween slash young adult, although it's a very young, young adult book. I think she has three or four of these um, in addition to all the middle grade that she has. And 15 is my favorite. I discovered it when I was 11. I got it out of our school library. And I must have gotten it out like every two weeks for the rest of the year because I read it about 15 million times. And it's a story about Jean and her first crush. It's this boy, Stan and she just likes Stan so much and she wants to impress him. she kind of tries to change a little bit you know to be the kind of girl that she thinks Stan would like and then over the course of the story comes to realize that if Stan doesn't like the person that she is that maybe Stan is not the guy for her but sure enough Stan does like her and more importantly she kind of sees the ways that Stan is human and insecure he's not this perfect you know unattainable human being but he's a person just like her with insecurities and things that he's anxious about and so they're dating but they also kind of end the book on this note of of having a real friendship and compassion and understanding for each other and Jane has come more into her own and so that story of Jane you know discovering that she wants to be true to herself really spoke to me at that age it still does and so that's you know, the biggest piece that I loved about it. But the other thing that I love that is in Beverly Cleary is it's in all of her writing is her humor, the way that she uses humor to both diffuse and intensify moments of tension. And she just laughs and, you know, pokes fun at the things that can be most uncomfortable and most embarrassing in any kind of moment in this way that just feels very honest and real and true to life. And I think that that was the other thing that really resonated with me when I was 11 when I read it.
0: As I mentioned, the title uh, refers to Jane's age, 15. Uh, what is it about this age that's so significant in this book uh, that actually she thought it was important enough to title it, 15?
1: That's a really good question. And I think that it is because Jane is in such a place of transition in her life. She's no longer a child. She's in high school now. And she's she's growing up. And she's understanding the world in ways that are more complicated she's deepening in her knowledge of herself in the way that i think most of us do around you know maybe 13 14 15
0: and uh, what is it about stan that makes him above all other teenage boys so appealing to jane as opposed to somebody say like george who she's been seeing off and on in a very casual way for a while but uh, she didn't feel about him certainly the same way she feels about stan
1: I think there's certainly some allure to the fact that Stan is the new boy because, of course, that's mysterious. Like, Jane has grown up with a lot of the boys at her school, but Stan is new and has a mysterious background, and I think that that's very appealing. And then the other thing that she likes about Stan that are just so cute or just the ways that he dresses or the fact that he... Was kind. The first time they meet each other, she is on a very difficult babysitting job, and Stan is helpful with that. He's compassionate and he's helpful about it. And he also is a little bit embarrassed about his own job, which is delivering horse meat for dogs, um, which apparently was a thing back then. And I think that she's charmed by that, by that vulnerability about him, and also the responsibility that he has a job like she does, and you know he's working hard and he takes it seriously.
0: Now, a lot of the problems Jane encounters have to do with either things left unsaid or misunderstandings that arise because of it or things said the wrong way. Should we feel frustrated with her for just not saying it or getting things? Or is this fairly common in teenage lives or maybe even in our own lives as adults? Maybe more than we'd like to admit.
1: Mm, I think you might be right on that last point. I also feel... Like teenage girls, and I would imagine this would even be more the case in the 50s, you feel very worried about saying the wrong thing and not being too much of something, too bossy, too pushy, too outspoken because that can kind of come back and haunt you in a way that I think is uncomfortable and unfair. And so I think for Jane, some of it is just not wanting to to, to be too much and then also not wanting to appear naive and stupid like I think that a lot of the things that she is confused about makes sense for the character that she is and the background that she has and it makes sense that they would confuse her but that you know like any of us when we're growing up like you don't want to look foolish and unknowing and the only person in the room who doesn't understand the thing that's obvious and so you keep your mouth shut and hope that you just kind of pick it up as time passes That said, I think all of those things are still somewhat true for all of us when we're adults, too. I mean, no one likes to be the one person who doesn't get the joke um, in a group of people. It's uncomfortable.
0: Part of Jane's conflict is also with another character, another teenage girl, Marcy. And part of Jane doesn't really like her that much, but part of her wants to be also more like her in many ways. And I was just wondering what you thought about that sort of inner conflict with Jane and, and the outer one as well.
1: I feel like most of us have a Marcy in our life growing up. Someone who is our age and yet is just a little bit more confident and a little bit more polished and good-looking and just gets it in this way that we feel like we don't really. And I think so much of that is just a facade that a person could put out there. Although that said, I think there are people who do have a little bit more confidence and it shows and it's attractive and it, you know, it can draw people to you. But in Marcy's case, it also makes her a little bit insensitive. And I think that that is something that ultimately Jane decides isn't for her and isn't a trait that she admires. But I do think when we're at an age that's particularly insecure which 15 most definitely is, to see someone who just looks like they have it all together and they wear the right clothes and flip their hair in just the right way can trigger an insecurity and make you want to be a little bit more like that and maybe a little bit less like yourself, which is one of the big things that Jane struggles with over the course of the story.
0: Well, for me, the the key scene for Jane is when she goes, makes a decision to buy and bring flowers to Stan, not just because of the flowers themselves, but she makes a decision about how she wants to be in regards to other people about being more of herself. And I'm just wondering what you thought about that sort of scene in the book.
1: I think you've really pinpointed that as just so pivotal and and the moment where Jane decides that she's going to be true to herself because what's so funny is the flower arrangement ends up being utterly ridiculous and Jane knows that she's going to look really silly bringing it to Stan and then it turns out Stan is no longer in the hospital. He had had appendicitis. He's home so she has to walk it across town and she has to walk it past people like Marcy and kids from school who are going to make fun of her and she just she owns it instead of being insecure you know she just makes a decision that she's not going to be insecure and embarrassed about this she's just going to own it and be like yep i'm bringing these flowers across town they look ridiculous but they come from a place of goodness and i am this is what i'm doing this is it here i am
0: This book is set, as we've mentioned, in the 1950s, and I'm sure for a lot of young readers, that seems like several lifetimes uh, away. How do you think things between now and then have changed for teenage girls? But what has remained constant? I guess, in other words, what does this book still have to say to uh, young readers who might uh, come across it now?
1: I think that there there are two things about the the historical piece that I think are interesting they're very charming details like the clothes that they wear or you know, just things that are interesting like the fact that people used to get horse meat for their dogs to eat but there's also a scene that is it's kind of like a racist microaggression. It, they go to a Chinese restaurant, and this character Buzz makes fun of a, a Chinese accent in a way that you know it, he shouldn't do that. It's he's, you know it's racist. It's um it's not funny. It's not a good joke. It's offensive. And Jane is maybe a little bit more horrified by the food than feels comfortable. I mean, foods from other cultures or, you know, even other parts of our own country can baffle us a little bit. They can be very different from what we're used to, but Cleary does treat it with just a little bit of cultural insensitivity. And so I think it's important when talking about that, you know, this book, which, you know, I love so much that the scene is the sort of thing that I really, really hope we would not see in a book now. Like, I hope that people are more aware of, you know, of of the ways that that scene is offensive. But getting to your question, I think that, the insecurity that Jane feels and the decision that she ends up making to be true to herself rather than be an imitation of Marcy is the kind of thing that girls absolutely still go through today.
0: Is there a particular passage from the book that you'd like to share?
1: You know, there is just a moment um, as a cat loving lady and also just someone who adores Beverly Cleary's humor, there's this moment where Stan comes to pick up Jane for a date, and he's meeting her parents, And the cat who has, she names her animals the best names in the whole world. And the cat's name is Sir Puss, and Sir Puss makes an appearance. And so if it's okay, I'll just read a couple of lines when Sir Puss shows up in the living room in this awkward moment where Stan is, you know, trying to look impressive with Jane's parents, and Jane is just hoping that things go well. Mr. Purdy sat down again, but Stan remained standing. That's a handsome cat, you, he remarked. Sir Puss stared, stared balefully at the visitor, then sat down, hoisted his hind leg, and began deliberately to wash. Inwardly, Chain squirmed with embarrassment. Leave it to Sir Puss! You'd think he was the most important member of the family the way he acted. Why, oh, why did he have to choose this particular moment when everyone was looking at him to wash his bottom? And I just feel like that's the kind of thing that happens when you want everything to be perfect. Your cat sails into the living room and starts washing his bottom.
0: You talked about uh, Beverly clearly uh, bringing humor into this uh, sort of story to help uh, develop this story and to, of course, make it, make it more interesting for the reader as well.
1: Yes, absolutely. And it, you know, it both like laughs at this moment of tension, but it also deepens it because it's just, ah, uh, like you're squirming inwardly with poor Jane as she squirms inwardly. <laughs>
0: Well, uh, Daphne, uh, thank you so much for uh, bringing this book to my attention. I had not been uh, familiar with it before. And thank you so much uh, for taking the time to talk to me about it today.
1: Well, thanks so much for having me on your podcast and for asking me such wonderful questions. It's really been a delight to speak with you today.
0: You can find Daphne's website at DaphneBG.com. Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music titled "All Together" is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com. Podcast cover art is provided by Creative Pro One Hundred and Eighty, courtesy of Fiverr, to be found at www.fiverr.com. You can visit me at jleemott.com or follow me on Twitter at DreamGardensJLM. The Dream Gardens podcast is also available through iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. Until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading.